Hi everyone and welcome back to Fast Charge. Uh, this week I'm joined by two of our stalwarts. We have Chris and Toddy here on the chat with me. Oh, we both saluted. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't Simultaneous. We run a tight ship here at Tech Advisor, I'll have you know. <laughs> Perfectly synchronised as ever. Uh, okay, this week we are going to take a look at Q1 phone sale numbers, which normally would be a bit dry, but actually they're kind of interesting this time around. Uh, then Toddy is going to run us through the Realme X3 Super Zoom, which he's been playing around with for last week and just had its official launch. And then finally, we are going to talk all things Huawei as the company's troubles continue. Uh, this time it looks like Kirin processors might be done for. Q1 phone sales. Uh, yeah, normally we don't like talk phone sale figures. They can be a bit dry. Um, but I think the Q1 worldwide figures that just got released are actually pretty interesting because they paint an, a picture that's unexpected to me at least, which is that the iPhone 11 is at the top, which isn't that odd. But it's way, 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 way at the top. Um, I think the figures are, yeah, for Q1, so that's January, February, and March of this year, uh, the iPhone 11 shipped 19.5 million units over that three-month period. Um, to put that in context, the second biggest phone was Samsung's mid-range Galaxy A51. That shipped 6.8 million units, so that's basically a third of the iPhone 11. Uh, and then to put it in context in the other direction, if you look at Q1 2019, so a year ago, uh, Apple also sat at the top of that chart with the iPhone XR, but that was 13.6 million units, so a lot less than the 19.5 that the iPhone 11 has run, uh, which is interesting. I knew the iPhone 11 was doing very well, but I didn't expect it to be sitting this sort of clear above both previous iPhones and its competition. When I heard the story just about the iPhone specifically, I was like immediately reminded of the 10R, but I didn't realize just how much uh, more successful the 11's been. And I'm not uh, entirely sure why. I guess most of those sales were made before lockdowns in the various countries took effect and the, the mm -hmm. market kind of plummeted to the degree that it has. So I guess they just got in under the wire there because of when they released the phone. Yeah, there's definitely a timing element here. This obviously is the first three months. So that covers at least looking at the West. Uh, yeah. January and February were pretty much business as usual. So two of those three months were, were what you'd expect. Obviously a little bit different when you look at Asia, the timing of sort of when lockdowns went in and, and how they how they played out was very different. Um, I mean, it's also, you know, telling that Apple's done well sort of throughout that list. I think it, there are four iPhones in the top 10 shipped phones for Q1. Uh, the XR still shipped another just about 5 million and the 11 Pro Max, and the 11 Pro. Um, so it's a good quarter for Apple. Uh, otherwise, it's basically, it is literally just Samsung and Xiaomi are the only other two brands that crack the top 10. Uh, last year, Oppo snuck in there as well with the A5, but there's no sign of anyone outside of those three. Uh, it may not be a huge surprise to see there's no Huawei. Like I said, we'll be talking about Huawei later, but uh, they couldn't make the top 10 this time. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, I am surprised the iPhone 11 has done this well. I wonder how much of it, say compared to the 10R last year, I wonder how much it benefits from a really smart branding play, which is to give the core flagship brand to a phone that's actually still relatively speaking affordable. You know, the iPhone 11 is actually a fairly similar phone to the 10R and it's fairly similar priced in terms of how they were at the times they launched. Um, and where they sat, sat in the specs lineup. But the 10R was positioned as, 
not budget, but the kind of the cheaper equivalent of the 10s. Whereas the 11 is the flagship, and then there's the flagship flagship. Yeah. Up above with the Pro and the Pro Max. The Pro which and I the Pro think Max means- are, are almost like um, the, the S20 Ultra, aren't they? They both serve that same kind of like super high-end, super OTT purpose. Yeah. So it means you can feel like you're getting the latest, the greatest iPhone if you buy an iPhone 11, but actually still only spend 700 and not worry about cracking a grand, which from a sort of marketing position seems pretty savvy to me and it looks like that's paid off. Apple's an interesting organization, especially right now. I think that they have done this for a while, but um, they are, um, I think, especially with the, the mobile market, and I, I would assume that in the next quarter, the iPhone SE 2020 might make an appearance in that list as well. Um, yep. You know, it, when whenever Apple releases an affordable iPhone, it, it just sells. Like, it, there's no doubt in anyone's mind. I don't think they've ever released... Like, even the 5C, I don't know the figures on that, but I have a feeling that went down pretty well as well back when they introduced that. Mm. Um, But at the other end of the spectrum, I think they still need to release these, you know, easily breaking a £1,000, $1,000 mark devices. And, you know, like the Mac Pro wheels that are like 700 bucks, whatever it was, (laughs) 400 bucks. Um, I think they do that because they they also, that's that's just perception. So consumers yep. are going to buy the cheap Apple stuff, but they need to make the expensive Apple stuff so that people still think of Apple as this ridiculously ultra premium brand. I think it's all about perception. Perception. It's almost like a bravado, if you will. And it's, it's interesting how they're structuring that in in things like their phones, where the market, where the um, the difference between the highest and the lowest uh, products in that range aren't as big. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the 11, I think, is a it's a great phone. Like I think no one in the office has ever said anything bad about it in, in terms of it being like a decent choice or recommendation. Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a solid phone. So I, I'm not surprised it's, it is where it is. Yeah, I'm I mean, not just surprised telling... either. Mm. It's just like it's that it's that very unoffensive sort of safe option. People um, pleaser. It's the yep. sweet spot, isn't it? I think that's what we said in both of our reviews on Tegabyte yeah. and Macworld. It was like, you know, this is the sweet spot iPhone that's going to be for most people. Obviously, there are, you know, a percentage of people that still want the Pro or the Pro Max because they're that type of user, but they're still going to, you know, they're always going to be in the minority spending that much and really getting the benefit from those extra features. Yeah. And you do see the same sort of story on the Samsung side. I mean, obviously, the way they brand it is different. Different, But like I said, the, the top Samsung one for the quarter was the A51, uh, not one of their flagship ones. And actually, the A51 is priced. I think that comes in. A, that runs a little cheaper than an iPhone 11, but not that much cheaper than no. an iPhone 11, um, despite not being branded S-series or anything. Um, it's not a great look for Samsung's flagship range. Um, with the obvious caveat that they only came out in February, so they only had half of this quarter to play with. Um, but the only S20 in the top 10 is the S20 Plus. I'm surprised which... it's the Plus, not the, the standard as well. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's the, a... So last year, both the S10 and the S10 Plus made it into the top 10 with 5 million each, basically. Uh, and the S10, like, the S10 was 5.2 million for the quarter. The S10 Plus was 5.1 million. So basically the same tiny edge to the, to the regular 10. Uh, this time around, the Plus model is the only one that's cracked it. Um, I mean, S20 sales have been down on S10 sales across the board. Mm. Uh, there probably is also an effect of splitting the sales three ways. This is just looking at top 10 handsets. So, you know, if, if all the Ultra people who bought the Ultra might have bought the Plus otherwise, 
that would shift sort of around and makes it harder for them to crack the top 10 with individual handsets. But still, um, three and a half million S20 pluses versus five million S10 pluses in the same period last year is not great for Samsung. Um, They do make it up with A-series and they have three A-series phones in the top 10. And because they have so many other uh, mid-range and budget devices, I think their overall smartphone sales are still higher than Apple. They just don't concentrate quite as much in those top few because they have a bigger range of handsets. One thing I have noticed that I'm surprised that the A51 is where it is in the number two spot is, you know, I've seen plenty of marketing for Apple's, any of the 11 series, um, iPhone 11s, but I have not seen a single ad, I think, for the A51. We I only really know about it because, you know, we covered it at uh, uh, CES this year when they, they first brought it out on show, I think. Um, so, yeah, that's an odd one. I'm assuming that is from markets like India. Uh, where Samsung's affordable offerings are probably going to sell better than their the flagship stuff. Yeah, uh, I think that's sort of where they pick up a lot of that. I'm especially with the A series; they have so many A series devices that they tend to be a bit inconsistent about which ones ship in which markets. So I'm not even sure if the A51 is available in all of the core markets you might normally expect it to to ship in. True. Um, you do have to wonder if they'll start looking at trying to replicate that Apple model where they bring the S. 30 i guess down to position it a bit more like they've currently got i guess they're trying to do it already with the the s10 light and the note 10 light is trying to get that s branding to an a price point but i wonder if slapping light on the end really gets the same effect versus just bringing the core s10 s20 s30 down to a more affordable point and then ramping it up with the ultras above it that's a great example of where Samsung doesn't do as good a job as Apple is just keeping things simple and saying like, here's, you know, a- Apple's always done this where it's like, okay, here are your, here are your four, here are your five different iPhones to choose from. It's quite clear how, you know, they go up in price and specs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas Samsung, you know, there's a, there's a million and one different iPhones and yes, they do well without any marketing, but I suppose that's because in the markets that they do well in, it's because retailers are quite happy to pick them up and, and they'll sell from people walking in stores yeah. and seeing them and going, oh, that's a Samsung phone. I can't really afford an S20 or whatever. So this is the the Android one for me. That's but, exactly it. It's people who look at the flagship ones. Yeah. They can't get it. And the guy in the shop says, oh, well, you get almost all the same features in this thing and it's yeah. half the price. And Yeah. So yeah. I'm, not, I'm not surprised about the A51 at all, but I, it's the kind of phone that the person buying it will have not heard of five minutes before they buy it um, <laughs> yeah and uh but yeah i don't think they're doing themselves any favors with the light branding because it just no. you know it just has it just doesn't sound that good does it and well, and the you s10, the s10 light didn't you yeah and, and that's i mean it's a it's a brilliant phone but why call it the s10 light why this, this year when we already know you know and it looks like the s20 just so i think if they called that the s20 light it would do a lot better but yep anyway um, that you know a company as big as samsung's always going to have these sort of mishmash confusing uh ranges i think because they sort of have the scattergun approach of mm. we'll just we'll just make all these we'll just make tons and tons of phones and see which ones so and that's before you even take into account like the you know the A A twenty E and the A twenty one S and yeah. the oh yeah. it's just yeah. it's a nightmare. <laughs> and some of and those have done well as well. Yeah, there's also yeah. J series and yeah. is there still K series? I can't remember. Some so the UK have a W series. Yeah, we don't get W yeah. series. 
never um, did j series you don't get any more like yeah it's fascinating i think for the the uk market specifically i think i presume the s20 um ranges are doing a lot better uh overall because i think especially down south like the premium market is is the uk's always been a premium market mm. i'm yeah. not an expert on xiaomi but i think it's possibly interesting that the the xiaomi phones in there are both redmi devices yeah. and mm. not like say the mi 9 you know is one of those phones mm. where we've sung its praises and 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 previous models on that line but it's actually the redmi note stuff that's really popular well i think it is just telling to their place in the global market that it's it's redmi that really kills it for them yeah when we look at the uk and we think about which xiaomi phones come here that we get excited about it's it's the flagship me stuff because for the uk they're very good value flagships and that makes sense and they are affordable for the uk market with top specs but actually again i would guess that's basically a combination of china and india driving absolutely huge redmi sales because you know redmi is that step cheaper again and that at least is where xiaomi like does the business i'm sure they'll be looking and wanting to see their more flagship stuff creeping higher up those figures and positioning it in that way because i'm sure they well, I'm sure they love the money that's coming in from selling these. I'm sure they don't want it to be their budget range outselling their uh, their premium tier, right? As much as if they can shift it around in the other direction. It's been this way for know, at least two or three years, probably longer at this point. But I'd say, um, especially now and especially with the, the, the effects that the pandemic has had on, on the smartphone sales um, and on the market, the mid-range market is where the real fighting is. Like... Mm-hmm. You, you kind of uh, sort of somewhat unfettered at the top end because you know once you're approaching a thousand people just kind of go okay it's an expensive phone like however expensive it is it's an expensive phone whereas it, it's trying to get that price performance balance in the mid-range is, is really i think the fiercest part of the market right now and that's totally. i think what's going to make you know make or break the 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 charts you know the the chart of biggest sales by the end of the year um is in the mid-range that's where people are going to make their money I mean, that feels like as good an excuse as any to move on hey. uh, because our next topic of discussion is what looks to me like a pretty competitive mid-range phone. Uh, there you can see it just in enormous 2001 monolith size <laughs> floating <laughs> across the camera. Uh, yeah, so the Realme X3 SuperZoom. Uh, Toddy, you know way more than either of us about this phone, so I think I'd better just hand it over to you really. Yeah, um, I've talked about Realme a few times before. I, I think I'm slightly becoming the resident Realme guy in the office, at least for some of their, their beefier and more exciting devices. Um, so they launched their first 5, 5G flagship within the last couple of months, I think it was, the X50 uh, Pro. Um, this is interesting, interesting for a number of reasons. They, the X2 Pro launched just at the very end of last year, so not that long ago, uh, but this is effectively the X3 x3 pro but there is no x3 pro this is the x3 super zoom um and the name kind of obviously points to its principal features it does two things pretty well i'd say very well for the price this is a sub 500 pound phone in the uk or even 500 euro in europe uh device it was also one of the first realme phones to get a launch in the uk before china we don't even know if it's coming to china which i think is another interesting element because it kind of shows 
Realme's intentions to really push out as a global brand or at least a European brand um, more so than maybe, you know, its parent or its affiliated company Oppo has because Oppo made a name for itself in China first and foremost and has only recently moved out whereas Realme is kind of going straight for a global audience. Um, And I think this phone kind of shows that the way this phone has been released shows that. Um, As for the phone itself, it's got a nice big screen. Uh, It's got a 120 hertz refresh rate. So it's kind of, you know, S20-esque in that regard or OnePlus 8-esque depending on which phone is your preferred um, and then the camera is um, it's a core camera Realme loves throwing a bunch of sensors um, but the main talking points are uh, 64 meg main center which is pretty good um, nothing too crazy low lights a bit weak but generally speaking it's a really solid sensor but the real talking points are it has a periscopic uh, five times optical zoom uh, sensor just like the Huawei P30 and P40 Pro and the Oppo Find X2 Pro, I believe, and the Oppo Reno 10X Zoom. They're pretty much all of them. Oh, and the S20, I guess, uh, Ultra. Uh, and also it has astrophotography uh, like the Pixel 4 series. So as far as I'm aware, it's the only other phone, at least that we've tested, that offers such a mode. I don't know if you guys know of any others. I don't um, remember anyone else hyping up an astrophotography No, mode. like just good low light modes, but not like, a yeah. And, not and obviously. yeah. In those two regards, in the soup, in the zooming and the astrophotography, it does a really, really good job. Again, for the money, it's it's I'd say it's excellent value for money. Um, the caveat, which is what my kind of the crux of my review is, especially in the camera section, is that it's it's they it does what it says it's going to do well, but those features are pretty niche, especially the astrophotography, and that's something we we found with the pixels, Dom. Right, like yeah. you reviewed the four, I took the four XL. Um, I did You'll find get- it funny when you said that was sort of the two big things the camera does is is the zoom and the astral <laughs> photography. And I'm like, wow, you're going to bet half your strategy on, yeah. on astral photography. Yeah. I mean, for marketing, like, I think it's it's great because people go look at that. And if they don't think about it too much, that is an impressive thing and go, oh, yeah, that, yeah. that looks really cool. But then most people, I'm pretty sure, will be taking fewer than one astrophotography image a month, maybe even less. Um, yeah. So, yeah, to buy a phone for that reason is probably the worst possible reason you could choose uh, to buy this phone. Um, but but otherwise, big... it does make sense in basically mm. picking out, I think, two of the most hyped flagship features right now are high refresh rate, especially mm-hmm. hitting 120, and then big zoom lenses, which obviously we're seeing all the big players basically try and fit in. Um, OnePlus are probably the only exception that didn't go any further than three times optical. Mm-hmm. But I guess they're not the only one. There are a few, but more and more that's being a big thing people are trying to make their name on is 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 that zoom so it definitely seems smart to just go like what are the two things that most flagships are leaning heavily on refresh rate and zoom and say cool both of them below 500 yeah and i think the option of uh it uses a snapdragon 855 plus rather than the 865 and i nice. think that's a, a smart move to help probably was what allowed them to stay under that 500 pound slash euro threshold um i think it wouldn't have been an easy phone to recommend if it was over that really i think if because it it slots into our our mid-range um bracket by doing that and i think that is a really important place to be like i was saying before um it's an interesting choice sorry Sorry, to to go go with the 855 plus so last year's flagship rather than the 765 or the 765g which are you know qualcomm's new second tier processors for this year um, which I suspect end up delivering similar-ish performance. I don't know if they're more expensive component-wise because of the 5G element. I know that's been a big issue with the 865 mm. is, is the 5G modem driving up prices. So I wonder 
I wonder if the 855 Plus... I know it's probably still a bit faster than the 765, but yeah, I wonder w- what the thinking was there. Is it a cost efficiency or is it going for performance over 5G or... Yeah, I mean, they're both like 7 nanometer chips. They're both very efficient chips. The 855... Uh, that launched like that started appearing in phones at the first half of 2019 mm. is still a very good chip and the 855 plus is really just an overclocked version of that if, you, if yeah. you're not aware um so yeah i i have no doubts and i say this again in the review that, that this phone will last you probably for like two years if you look after it quite happily i think it's got what you could still consider flagship class performance in benchmarking mm-hmm. it's not quite as high as the 865 but no one you know as we always know with these new chips when a new chip launches we don't see the benefits of that really until a year down the line where it's still being able to hold its own whereas you know a a lesser chip a mid-range chip can't last that long it can't operate at the same level for that long so yeah i think they were really smart to pair all the hardware that they have in here loads of ram ufs3 storage like an s20 or like you know one plus um, the, the main thing is that price point, 469 in the UK, um, you really do need to consider whether this is worth getting for the camera. Because if it's not for the camera, I'd probably swing to the OnePlus 7T because that's now dropped down to the exact same price. And right. I personally prefer the fit and finish. Uh, you know, there's there's a plastic frame on here. You get metal on the OnePlus. There's um, an Oxygen OS. I think that user experience is still better than what... The Realme and Oppo phones are working with. ColorOS has come a long way. Realme UI, as it's called here, which is basically the same thing, have come a long way. But um, yeah, I think uh, the OnePlus 70 still clenches it, even though it doesn't have these fancy camera features because they are too niche for most people to you know, yeah. choose a phone for. This does have the refresh rate, though. Though, again, I think that's kind of a thing yeah. a lot of people won't really notice. Or but 90 hertz is already better. Like 90 to 120, it's not a huge... It, yeah. It's, yeah. So it, it's a, it's a it's a good phone, no doubt, but it's a tricky recommendation mainly because the seventy exists. So mm. it really does come down to whether you think that um, that camera is worth it. It's interesting yeah, I, I do. that you compare to OnePlus because Realme seem to be the new OnePlus. You know, in, in a way so they many, are, in yeah. So many ways, they're they're you know they're even using the the flagship killer um, yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> motto that I think I mentioned when we were talking about the one of their other phones but yeah they they seem to be doing a pretty good job of saying right here's some sort of high-end features that now we're going to give to you on on this really cheap phone um yeah i'm trying to i'm also trying to work out who they're pitching it at because it's all quite techy it's all quite nerdy like they're making a big deal of uh, this is the only phone with like the zoom and the snapdragon 855 plus in the world even though that's an old processor and so yeah. are they expecting the their potential buyers to know these details? Like, As a brand, they've made huge strides in India. And I think that market, this phone, probably won't have a problem selling. Yeah. The the problem, you know, India is a huge market. And to have that under your belt and have that in your corner is, is great, obviously. But yeah, in terms of the global stage, India is a pretty specific market as well. Mm. And I don't think... Um, those yeah as you're saying like in the launch which was just yesterday as we record this um the techie angle was was a huge part of of how they pitched this phone and i don't think most average european or uk consumers really care that much like as long as it takes a good picture and it lasts them and they think it's value for money then yeah fine yeah it's not 5g it's not wi-fi 6 enabled or anything like that it has got fast charging which is nice yeah um but yeah it's it's 
you, you you're right to kind of question who it's for because that is a tough recommendation i think the oneplus again has more mass appeal i think people will appreciate the overall experience that that offers because it feels that little bit tighter a little bit more developed um whereas i think the tech heads would be more swayed perhaps by this because it has those big numbers to throw around but then i think that's partly a question to where they are in their um sort of life cycle in in the market in that if you look back that's what oneplus did when they started out, OnePlus was techie and nerdy, and the point was get passionate early adopters on board, build a fan base, build people who will be champions for your brand and will go out and tell their friends about this phone that they've never heard of and say, this is the phone you should buy. You've never heard of it, but let me promise you it's better than anything else you can get for the same price. And the you know they go and be like evangelists for the brand. And I think that's what Realme is trying to get. Yeah, the, they're not messaging to the general market. They're messaging to the people who might become Realme fans who mm. will then go on and message to the bigger market for them. And then in a year from now, in two years from now, they can broaden out their own messaging uh, once they have that foothold, I guess. I assume that's what they're thinking. Yeah, it that's sounds a very... like a reasonable plan, doesn't it? To, to basically follow in the footsteps of OnePlus, especially now they've sort of left that, like, here's your affordable but flagship-esque yeah. device. But I, su I suppose the question is, is it too late to do that? Because OnePlus have already sort of gathered up all of those people. <laughs> and and OnePlus users are, you know, supposedly some of the most loyal around because OnePlus is so good at, you know, yep. communicating and listening to them and stuff. So are there any of those people left or are there enough OnePlus users that are missing those affordable flagships or have OnePlus managed to drag them up to the... The, the more expensive phones i don't know well it's also worth remembering i don't want to dwell on it too long but you know just this week pete lau also confirmed that they are working oneplus is back working on cheaper phones and they want to expand their portfolio go away from the one or two devices at a time they think they're big enough to do that which is basically a kind of like you know does feel like a bit of a warning shot at all the brands who are looking to fill in the space oneplus has vacated in the market and oneplus is saying like no no, no we're coming back for that like, yeah, we're getting flagships now, but that that five hundred pound space we just left, like that's still ours. We're coming back, probably the OnePlus Z or Z later this year. We hope that that hasn't been confirmed, but you know there will be cheaper OnePlus phones again. They're just now going to start doing that together with flagships. So anyone trying to move into that space, like Realme is, it could look like it's less competitive right now than it is if if OnePlus are going to come back back and could win back that fan base they kind of left behind a bit with the last two releases. And it'll be interesting yeah, yeah. to see what the Pixel 4a turns out to be like, whether that can be the new mid-range king and even what I mean, Motorola can do. Yeah. If we if we set aside the confusing Mo the G8 line, of which there's, <laughs> there's, there's another one now. <laughs> there's a Moto G8 Pro. So let's just forget about all the Moto G8s. <laughs> 4A is definitely um, a bit different, though, because I feel like the Pixels will just sit in a space where it may be rated as the best mid-range, but it won't sell anything like any of its rivals anyway. So it's kind 4A of a will point. be a great mid-ranger for the US market, and then everywhere else it'll be all right, but then there'll be a better Chinese phone to choose. Like, that's exactly. just how that'll work. But the, the real me, like, we're, we're talking about them as being kind of like old OnePlus with their, their tech, you know, tech first as their angle and building up this kind of family of... of 
of avid fans. Um, but they're also playing a second game, which is kind of like old Samsung or, or, or current Samsung, depending on how you look at it. Um, they are also just flooding the market with phones. And they've yeah. kind of done that from the off. Like they only, I think I mentioned previously, they only started in 2017 as a company. I think they released their first phone in 2018. Uh, when I looked, um, although this phone technically launched with at least one or two other handsets, this is about their 12th phone this year alone. I don't think maybe Motorola, but I don't think anyone else has got that. Maybe Samsung. They're, they're like the only two I can think of that might have that many phones that are 2020 devices already. They yeah. are prolific. The- and I think that'll pay off. Uh, in you know, on the store shelves, someone looking for a cheap phone in car phone warehouse. If they saw like a Realme Six S or something, but that's the issue. There is that will work again. I feel like the the mistake they're making right now is applying mm. their Indian strategy to Europe mm-hmm. to some extent because that may work in India. Because I'm guessing in India where they've been big for a while, they have the distribution network. They've only just arrived in Europe, which means they are not in car phone warehouse. They're not nope. in the high street shops. Not that we can go to them anyway, but. they don't have that physical retail presence so they have a load of handsets sitting on amazon or the realme official website that's it that doesn't matter (laughs) if people aren't seeing them in shop flooding the market with handsets makes sense when you've got physical retail presence because there can be a whole shelf of nothing but your brand because you put enough handsets out that you can occupy that space but if you're not occupying physical shops then it's a moot point um, yeah. hopefully they're, I'm sure they are doing everything in their power to get that distribution to get on with the big networks and carriers and I'm sure they will but they're not there yet so actually releasing 10 phones in a quarter it, it, it won't necessarily help them yet in Europe yeah and that's like that's that's exactly how OnePlus you know got exposed to the the full UK market was by getting I think they started off with O2 and then went mm. from there and you know into car phone warehouse and stuff so it took time yep. i'm sure realme will sell some devices to the people who are following them and know who they are now but yeah to your average joe on the high street they need to they need to do the same thing and get into our into car phone warehouse and that which you know don't know if there's space <laughs> or not yeah maybe not right now <laughs> Well, there might be space vacating uh, because things are getting worse and worse and worse for Huawei. So uh, still well, being stopped by the big brands, but <laughs> for how much longer? Uh, yeah, so I think we've got a few bits of Huawei sort of stuff to cover. Uh, I mean, rounding off at the top, we didn't talk about this at the time, but a couple of weeks ago, the US extended its trade ban officially by another year till March 2021. Um so there's, or is it May 2021? Anyway, spring next year. So there is definitely another 12 months or so of uh, not having Google services on Huawei phones, Huawei products not being sold in the US, and all the other complications that brings them. Uh, the second blow they suffered, at least specific to the UK, is that under sort of the pressure around the coronavirus situation, which has rightly or wrongly impacted relations with China internationally, uh, the UK government is under renewed pressure to strip Huawei out of its 5G infrastructure, which it had previously said it wouldn't do, and now it looks like it is backtracking and will. And I think it's basically said it's the current proposal is to get everything Huawei out of the system by 2023. Uh, and then finally, it's something that sort of broke a week or so ago, and then it sort of sat quietly, and people didn't really, I think, pick up on the full impact of this. But the US trade ban essentially got subtly tweaked and expanded which meant that companies that want to use us ip 
to create products to sell to Huawei now need to get permission. That sounds a bit convoluted, but the important like thing to take away from it is that the Taiwanese silicon manufacturer that Huawei used to use, so Taiwanese company, not American, but they used uh, ARM um, sort of designs and things like that to build their silicon. Because of that, they are no longer allowed to sell to Huawei. That means, unless they can find a workaround, no more Kirin processors. Because the current system was Huawei designed its own Kirin processors in-house and then got this company to build them for it um, using some ARM stuff as well. It's not sort of pure Huawei design. And basically, that's the bit that they can't do anymore. So unless they can go back to the drawing board and build this stuff from scratch with no American IP whatsoever, which is not likely, uh, this is probably the end of the Kirin processor line as we know it. Uh, and already... Honor and Huawei are beginning to talk about moving towards using MediaTek processors mm -hmm. instead, which they already use in some of their very low-end devices. They sort of use some of the budget MediaTek chips, but they might now start having to use MediaTek all the way up. And it could be that by the sort of this time next year, we are seeing P-series phones with a MediaTek chip in them, which would be bad news for Huawei because MediaTek does not have the global clout that Snapdragon does, or even that Kirin does as its own brand. Um, and it's going to cost it more to buy processors than design its own. Um, but really good news for MediaTek, which is <laughs> trying to step up its game and be more of a Snapdragon rival. And this could be a huge thing for it if it goes well. I mean, they're, they're an interesting company. They've always kind of been, not the black sheep, but they've always been sort of second-class citizens in the, in the process of race. Um, and, and partly because manufacturers only ever did put their chips in their mid or low range phones mm -hmm. uh and benchmarking you know reflected that like they just didn't compete with what qualcomm was putting out there um but they were more affordable for the manufacturers and that's been their biggest i think asset uh with you saying that they're already trying to change things on their own like they already have a couple of 5g chips under their dimensity branding yeah um which i think is a good move to have some chips already available to manufacturers to use um, I think this could break one of two ways for MediaTek in terms of if Huawei goes all in on them or mostly in on them and starts investing in them more to get more power out of the chips and to get more efficient chips, we might start to see some much more competitive silicon out of of um, MediaTek, which, you know, that, that, that could be interesting in its own right and might be able to keep Huawei afloat um, in the kind of consumer uh, competition with their phones. Um, but, uh, you know, alternatively, the MediaTek sort of, that, that, that perception of MediaTek might rub off on Huawei even more so than it itself is already enduring and just actually drag them down further. So I'm, I'm curious to see over the course of this next, what, year or so, if that change does go into full effect, how that affects both the brand perception of, of MediaTek and Huawei. Totally. I mean, and if, if MediaTek aren't ready to have something flagship level that could compete with the Snapdragon uh, 875 or whatever next yeah. year, um, you know, if that if there's a Huawei flagship coming out that benchmarks badly, that just looks bad for both companies. It looks like Huawei can't compete in the flagship space anymore because they can't put in flagship chips. And it looks bad to MediaTek because it looks like push came to shove and they couldn't deliver. Um on the other hand, like you said, if, if they can put an affordable, they can put something in there that does does the numbers for, for a Huawei flagship, you could certainly imagine other 
Asian manufacturers beginning to look at that as a way to sort of um, subvert Qualcomm's dominance in the sector. And we've heard mm. so many complaints about Snapdragon 865 pricing being an issue for manufacturers yeah. this year. Huge. Um, so if MediaTek can, you know, it's a good thing for the industry if MediaTek can step up and we can have a proper rivalry in the flagship silicon space that we just haven't had in the phone market for, for years. Um, and you could t- certainly see a lot of other companies jumping ship or at least considering more with each phone which way they go with it. Um, and it would force Qualcomm to be more competitive in its pricing, even though it's already competitive in its specs, obviously. Yeah, it's mirroring, you know, it's, it's a very similar sort of situation to Intel AMD over the, the many, many years of them producing, you know, mm-hmm. des- desktop and laptop silicon. It's like, you know, one's dominant and has the brand power and the other one's the underdog. And, and yeah, I think like Toddy says, this could go either way. It could 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 bring MediaTek up to that same level and give them the same a similar sort of brand power that Qualcomm's had for a long time now, or it could uh, just <laughs> not not work out for either company. And but then I think I think Huawei's you know the the Google services issue is still bigger for Huawei for sure um, because you know that's that's the thing that's going to affect consumers more. Um, so the dogs are saying hello. <laughs> Uh, guest, yeah. of, guest appearance finally guest um, appearance scout but like you say you know MediaTek's always been the always been the processor in phones where people don't need to know what the processor is yeah so um putting them in the in the p whatever the 50 the um the other flagship Huawei's isn't going to look as good but if they can get the performance that they need out of it yeah it could could give them the the boost they yeah. need i guess the question is whether mediatek are at all ready to make chips that i don't even know if they have chips at that level because obviously their 5g stuff the dimensity that alex mentioned earlier um again they made a point there of going mid-range with that which was a good mm. thing because it, it drove their sort of if you want to make a 5g phone um that's a bit more affordable the mediatek becomes really appealing because they put 5g into cheaper chipsets than Qualcomm has. Um, and that's great. But again, I just don't know if they make any silicon that can match an 865. And then I can't imagine that's the kind of industry where you can pivot quickly enough to produce that in time for 2021 flagships just because you get Huawei on board. And if Huawei is going to be a big thing, they, you know, that the Huawei is, you know, top few phone manufacturers worldwide and they'll want to be able to satisfy that demand. That would be a huge client for them. But how quickly can they pivot and start doing that? And I wonder whether Huawei will be trying to lend their Kirin design expertise to them even to help speed that along any I don't know how closely they'll be willing to work together. Another thing I'm wondering is obviously right now like kind of the US government's eye of Soren has turned on Huawei specifically. But, like, there's a chance that if it just feels strongly about any of the other mobile manufacturers, particularly the other Chinese ones like Xiaomi or Oppo or, or one, you know, even OnePlus, mm. which has a presence in the US, if they suddenly decide, you know, oh, they're Chinese and therefore they might also be spying on us or, or whatever reason yeah. that they decide to come up with. Um, I'm wondering whether other manufacturers are already looking at other 
um, uh, ways of producing their phones that also don't rely as heavily on US either patents yeah. or infrastructure in any way. And they that might also be a driving force behind, you know, better competition against companies like Qualcomm from yeah. manufacturers in Taiwan, manufacturers in China. Um, yeah, so that could be really interesting. It's impossible to imagine that Xiaomi and Oppo don't have proper backup plans ready for this because yeah. Huawei like a team working away quickly to yeah. try and figure out <laughs> Huawei yeah. was obviously caught on the back foot a little bit and they'd obviously talked about having plans ready but it clearly still took them by surprise when it actually happened and whatever plans they had were not sufficient and they weren't really ready for this <laughs> app uh, gallery was the perfect demonstration of how they weren't ready for yeah. this <laughs> but you can be absolutely sure that the others are all looking at this i mean we're seeing it a bit in sort of all this um the file transfer alliance that little body yeah. of chinese manufacturers coming together to try and put together a proper Android file transfer system that because Google just never did. Um, and that's you've got what, a, That's Xiaomi, Vivo, OnePlus, Meizu, Oppo? Is Oppo in there? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah it's certainly... Because it started out as two or three and another few joined last week. So mm. it's like five or six manufacturers now. Um, that definitely looks like the, the public-facing edge of bigger backroom discussions about, mm -hmm. right, how do Chinese tech companies manage with this? Uh, and surely there's a backup plan that, that whether they're working together or whether they just each individually got backup plans. But again, if MediaTek can be a, a, a silicon provider that sits outside of the trade ban and the US can't find another way to extend the ban's intricacies to catch MediaTek as well somehow. Uh, other than that, yeah, you've got to think a lot of them will be looking at whether and when they can pivot to using MediaTek for more stuff. If there's a risk, they're suddenly not going to be able to use Qualcomm anymore. I think you make yeah. a good point about how quickly can they pivot and turn around and, and change all their plans. Like, you know, these phone makers will have a roadmap, you know, many yeah. years into the future where they're planning all the devices. And and changing something like this is not easy from what I know about no. silicon. And you, you don't just suddenly make a new, you know, a, a better <laughs> processor in like a few weeks. It, it just doesn't work like that. Um, so weekly, I suppose it probably is worth saying as we're, saying about other company the manu phone manufacturers having presumably been, been having backup plans for the last year while this huawei stuff went down if mediatek has any sense they spent the last year trying to figure out how to take qualcomm's place in that market and seeing this as an opportunity and again you would expect the behind the scenes they have been working to get to this level of doing the flagship chips because they must see that there is a very easy argument for them to just go to, to Xiaomi, to Oppo and say, why wait for the US to say you're not allowed to work with Qualcomm? Why not get ahead of it? Stop being so reliant on US manufacturers before you before you need to do it like without a choice. And, uh, you know, we've obviously seen them pushing their brand a little bit further over the last year, the way they've handled the 5G stuff, the way they're beginning to reach out to the press more than they used to. They're definitely trying to be more of a competitor to Qualcomm. And I suspect this is something MediaTek have been readying themselves for. Um, whether they expected Huawei to be the first customer or not, I don't know, given that I don't think anyone figured Kirin was going anywhere too soon. But um, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. It's 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 a big change and, and uh, this could be amazing news for MediaTek and it could be very good news for the market in general. But there is no way to see this as anything other than bad news for Huawei, which is now crippled on software and hardware. Yeah. And it's just hard to see it's getting harder and harder for that consumer side of them to keep going and working outside of the Chinese market. They're still doing fine in the Chinese market, but this is just yet another blow to their prospects of selling phones in Europe. 
because if it doesn't even yeah it's it's going to start tanking their reviews both hardware wise and software wise which is rough for them and let's not yeah. forget the 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 5g stuff if if the uk's you know pull, pulling out you know all their stuff that's got to be a huge financial loss and also just doesn't look good for them as a brand like you know con- consumer trust with a brand is 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 totally you know something the, that's never going to not be important yeah hugely important for people to trust a brand that they're buying and when they you know on top of all these bands and all these issues and google you know services if if the uk uh is officially saying oh we're not going to use their stuff that doesn't look good for the average joe who doesn't understand tech they're like oh well i better not buy their phone then yeah totally absolutely. it's Lock a different effect yeah it's a different bit of the company but i think i've always it's always been my opinion that actually the effect on sales is probably greater from the 5G stuff than it is from the Google thing. I think the average consumer doesn't know Huawei phones don't have Google until they get in the shop and get told. But the average UK consumer knows Huawei's involved in 5G. And is it good that they're involved in 5G? And people are a bit mm. unsure about whether they should be and whether they're like do it spying for China on us and all of that. And, and so I think that has a bigger effect on public image. Um, and a lot of Huawei's... Um you know finance comes from their communications side of it which again most people wouldn't know but like you know most uh you know um routers from from the big broadband companies and stuff is is all huawei stuff inside so yeah mm-hmm. you know to lose a lot of these contracts will cost them millions if not billions absolutely uh, right, that's a nice cheery note to end on for the week. Uh, thanks, Chris, for lifting up all our spirits in this troubling time. Well, it's sunny. <laughs> the dog appeared, that was nice. We did get Scout making her proper on-camera debut. Uh, yeah, thank you to anyone who has uh, stuck with us through this week's episode. Uh, jump in the comments if you have any questions at all. Like and subscribe, all of that. And we will be back here same time, same place next week. Bye.